I hope you have your Bibles today. Let me encourage you to find 1 Peter chapter number 4. 1 Peter chapter number 4. We've been talking about uh, suffering. And it's one thing for suffering to be justified. It's something totally different when it's not. You think about justifiable suffering. It reminds me of a story of a man who was being tailgated by a stressed out uh, woman on a busy boulevard when all of a sudden the light turned yellow just in front of him and uh, he did the right thing. It, it, it turned yellow and he didn't run through it. He actually slowed down and he stopped at the intersection. The tailgating woman hit the roof. She started blowing the horn and screaming in frustration and she missed her chance to go through the intersection and she was so mad she was ranting and raving and hitting the steering wheel when all of a sudden she looked up in the rearview mirror and there was a police officer. He turned those lights on and pulled her over. As he pulled her over, he got out and there she was and she was just upset and upset with him and finally he just said, ma'am, I'm going to have to take you in. Uh, he put handcuffs on her and took her down to the station, put her in. She was in there for two or three hours and finally the arresting officer came in and said, uh, I'm going to have to let you go, ma'am. I'm so sorry for my mistake. And the lady says, what do you mean? And the officer said, I pulled you over because you were blowing your horn and flipping the guy off in front of you and cussing a blue streak and hitting the steering wheel. I saw everything. And I was confused because, you see, I noticed that you had a Choose Life license plate, a What Would Jesus Do bumper sticker, and a Follow Me to Sunday School bumper sticker, and a chrome-plated Christian fish symbol on the back of your car. Naturally, I assumed someone stole your vehicle justifiable suffering that's one thing but it's totally different when it's not justified uh, that kind of suffering seems to be hard seems to be difficult as a matter of fact when it comes to that kind of suffering uh, we think that we need to avoid it at all cost especially in the arena of persecution but let me just remind you as Peter's been reminding us that Christian suffering should be different for us we look at challenges, we look at problems, we look at difficulties. We, we look at things through a different set of lenses. God desires and longs for us to see the suffering and the challenges that God allows to come into our life, to be one to draw us closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In the region in which Peter was writing, there were at least ten major churches as well as new churches being birthed every month. Persecution was beginning to heat up. The Roman government saw Christians uh, as a Jewish sect, and they didn't like them at all. The basic line of uh, Roman uh, religion was that of false gods and demigods. And they hated Christianity, especially in relationship to the Jews, as they thought it, again, was just a sect, a offspring of Jewish Judaism. Nero is on the throne. He is wanting everything in his power and will persecute Christians to the highest extent. In studying 1 Peter, we see that time and time and time again, Peter is encouraging us that in the culture that they're living in during this season of their life is much like the culture that we're living in in response to how the world hates Christians. You're the problem. Christianity is the problem in our world today. If you Christians were not here, there wouldn't be a problem with abortion. 
If you Christians weren't here, there would not be a problem with same-sex marriage. If you Christians weren't here, then it wouldn't be a problem with the gender confusion that's out there. It's your fault, and at the center of your fault is this right here, the Bible. Brothers and sisters, I submit to you that this is not a strange thing. This is something that's going on for centuries. Peter had to deal with it. And Peter says that as the culture heats up and persecution gets hotter and hotter, that we as born-again children of God must be prepared. We must be prepared for what's going on. As a matter of fact, when you look at this, you see that time and time and time again, Peter uh, continually talks about the purpose of suffering. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, he said, The purpose for suffering is to prove our faith genuine and to purify our faith. We go on in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. He also says that suffering is to bring, uh, bring glory and honor to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, he says that suffering is to lead unbelievers to Christ. What you're going through and the suffering and the challenging that, challenges that you're experiencing, and whatever it is, it is to bring others to Jesus Christ. He goes on in chapter 2, verse 15, it says that your suffering is to silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Uh, that is to say that you don't handle suffering like a lost person handles suffering. You don't handle trials and tribulations and difficulties like the world handles trials, tribulations, and difficulties. You see the trials and the tribulations that come into your life as an opportunity to silence those that are ignorant and foolish by not reacting to uh, the suffering, but reacting to Jesus Christ. The Bible also says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20, he says the reason you go through suffering is to please God. Say, man, that is so weird, that's so strange. Peter's already dealt with this. He tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, also it is to follow Christ's example. Uh, just as Jesus suffered, we too must suffer. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 and 2 is to win our unbelieving husbands or our unbelieving wives to Jesus Christ. We suffer so that we can win them to Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14, he talked about how that suffering has been given to us so that we can receive God's blessing. He tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 16, that the reason why suffering comes into our lives is to shame unbelievers who slander us because we don't respond the same way the world responds. And then in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, he says there that, that suffering comes into our lives to enable us to live a more obedient life. It, it's like every single chapter, time and time and time and time and time again, he says you're going to suffer, you're going to suffer, you're going to suffer, you're going to suffer. Why is that important today? It's important today because there is teaching out there today that says when you come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, all your sufferings disappear. When you come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, all your problems go away. When you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you have no more challenges, no more heartaches, no more difficulties, no more sickness. You have no more any of these things. Everything becomes wonderful. It's called the social gospel. And it's being taught everywhere. In fact, social gospel revivals are happening all across the world today. But here's what's happening. 
people are falling for this social gospel. And then they're realizing that their problems still exist. And they turn away from Jesus Christ and they leave the faith. Because they do not have a true, meaningful experience and truth concerning Jesus Christ. This is what Peter's dealing with. He's dealing with it in Asia Minor as these churches are dealing with persecution. And these individuals there are suffering greatly. And so time and time and time and time again, Peter says, as a born-again child of God, you might as well expect it. There's going to be pain in your life. There's going to be heartache in your life. Your mama's going to die. Your daddy's going to die. You may be in a car accident. You may get a disease that is going to affect your life. It may be a terminal disease. It may be a threatening disease. You you may have people come against you. You may have people hate you. You may be beat up for your faith. You may be persecuted for your faith. I heard of a gentleman, a a Christian man, loved the Lord with all of his heart. He was out in Colorado. And as he was out there in Colorado, his job wanted to be all-inclusive. And so they told all of their employees, they said, you have to go to the gay parade. And he says, I can't. I'm sorry. I can't do that. I can't celebrate that. I don't believe in it. That man lost his job. They fired him because he wouldn't go to a parade. Listen to me very carefully, church. It's going to continue to get heated. We must know what the Bible says, and we must believe the Word of God. Notice what Peter says, beginning in verse number 12. He uses a term of endearment to start this section. He says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice in so much as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when His glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the Spirit of the glory and of God resteth upon you. And on their part He is evil spoken of, but on your part He is glorified. But let none of you suffer as murderers, or as as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. I don't have a lot about this in my notes. I just had this thought. I think it's so fascinating that that, uh, he mentions the words murder, uh, which which comes to tell us that at some point in in their lives, somebody might hurt you to the the point where you say, man, I I could kill them. He says, "Don't, don't do that. Don't do it. He says, or as a thief, someone may hurt you so bad that you go and steal from them. Or, or as an evildoer. Now, all of those, those three are just justifiable. We're like, yes, we definitely know. We definitely, definitely know we should not do that. But he, then he says at the end of this, he says, but n- none of you suffer as a busybody in other people's matters. As a born-again child of God, you ought not to stick your finger in that mix and stir it up. He says, don't you dare do that. He said, well, I'm suffering. Aren't we supposed to do eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? I mean, what's the deal here? You mean I'm just supposed to take it? No, what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to give God the glory. 
You're supposed to let God handle the situation. He says, don't be a busybody in other men's matters. Verse 16, and if, uh, yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be for them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to Him, and in well-doing as unto a faithful Creator. Brothers and sisters, I submit to you in the context that this is writing, Peter is simply saying sometimes there are occasions that the will of God falls on the side of your suffering. That is to say that it's God's will that you suffer. What do we find here in this text? Well, when we look at this passage of Scripture, it's very simple. We still see this purpose in suffering. He's going to highlight several that he's already mentioned, but when we look at this, there are four uh, purposes that he wants to reemphasize in relationship to suffering, one of which we must get a handle on because the overarching contextual truth is simply this. Suffering for our faith is normal and we should expect it. Also, suffering for our faith is a, has a purpose. In fact, a number of purposes. We've already looked at ten, and now he's going to highlight four more. And finally, suffering for our faith is God's will. What is going on here? What is the purpose for our suffering? Number one, let me show it to you in this text, verse 12. The first thing he says is that it is to prove our faith. It is to prove our faith. Can I ask you this question, brother and sister? Is your faith genuine? Is your faith genuine? God has created us to be emotional beings. When we hurt, we hurt. When we are happy, we're happy. When we're sad, we're sad. Uh, it, it's funny. I, I, you, you know me now. I've been here eight years. Uh, you know that when I'm happy, I'm happy. When I'm sad, I'm sad. When I'm upset, I'm upset. You, you guys can read me like a book, and I can read you like a book too. And I'm very grateful that we have that kind of relationship. But it goes to show that we are emotional beings. God has created us to be emotional. But we don't operate off of our emotions. We operate off of our obedience. And when we operate off of our obedience, then our feelings follow. Uh, there have been many occasions when I've wake, woken up uh, on a Sunday morning and my wife uh, get down on her knees and look up under the bed and say, Come on, honey, you're the pastor. Let's go get dressed. You ever had that kind of week? It's good news to know that we all experience those things. We all get down every now and then. But it's also important to understand the purpose behind it. The purpose behind the suffering uh, is we see here in the text is to prove our faith. Look at verse number 12 again. He says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. Now let me stop right there and say a couple of things parenthetically. When you look at this passage of Scripture, he uses this term of endearment, beloved. He is speaking to born-again children of God. These children of God, these Christians, are in fact Gentiles. They're just like us. They're individuals that are not Jews. They have been saved. They've trusted Christ as Savior. And Peter says, who is a Jew? He says, brothers, you're brothers and sisters in Christ with me. He says, don't think in your mind that it is a strange thing 
concerning the fiery trial that you're going through, that you're being tested with. As a matter of fact, when you look at the text, if you've got your pen, pencil, lipstick, or mascara, I would underline the word strange. Uh, That's where we get our English phrase, to be in shock. He says, do not be in shock concerning this fiery trial which is testing you. He says, this trial that you're in is a fiery trial. Well, we already saw this earlier, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, where he says that the trial, the trial of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, may be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Uh, my best friend had an uncle who was a jeweler. And I mentioned this in chapter 1, verse 7, but I'm reminded of it as I read this again. As he sat there and worked on a Saturday morning, we always went to his shop on Saturday morning. He had a little living room in the back, and he wanted to buy us pizza every Saturday. And we would go over to the jeweler's shop, go in the back of the shop where he had a living room. We would watch football, college football, and eat pizza. It was so much fun. We did that many, many a Saturdays. But there were also many a Saturdays during the commercials, I would walk up to the front of the store where his uncle, who was a jeweler, would be refining gold. He would have a gold piece or a a gold chain, and somebody had wanted a, a, this back in the 80s when those gold nugget necklaces were popular. How many remember those gold nugget necklaces? All the old people. He would sit there and he would throw it in this little kennel and this little keel and he would heat it up and it would get so hot and it was just amazing. I, I was mesmerized by it as I would watch him and I'd watch that gold melt. And as the gold would melt, there, there, there was this black stuff that would rise up to the top and he would take this little skimmer and he would skim it off and he would put it uh, there beside it and, until it was 100% pure. And then he would pour it into a mold. And then it would get hard. And what a beautiful piece of gold that was after he polished it up. But to see that it was refined. And he looked looked at several times and said, this is pure gold. Brothers and sisters, the same is true in relationship to your trial. That suffering you're going through is to prove your faith. It is to make it more pure as you stand against the wiles of the devil. Number two, the second thing I want you to see is not only to, to prove your faith, but also to grow our relationship with Christ. To grow our relationship with Christ. Look at verse number 13. He says, but, don't think it is some strange thing that's happened to you, but rejoice. That word rejoice there is where we get our English word thrive. He's saying thrive against this. Thrive in your suffering inasmuch as you were partakers of Christ's suffering that when His glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceedingly joy. He begins the verse with rejoicing and He ends the verse with exceeding joy. This is such a paradigm shift for us. This is so difficult for us because we're living in a day where suffering hurts, pain hurts hurts it is difficult to go through a hard situation it is hard to go through a challenge in our lives but he says by going through this challenge we are thriving because we're going to come out on the other side victorious because Jesus Christ is going to see us through so he says brothers and sisters it is so vitally important to understand that these trials that you're going through it is the suffering of Jesus 
He tells us this in first in Philippians chapter 3, uh, verses uh, 7 through 11. He talks about that we might know Jesus, Paul says, and the, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death in order that I might obtain to the resurrection from the dead. What, what are you saying, Paul? What are you talking about in relationship to this suffering and how it grows our relationship with Christ? He says there in the text, when Paul was speaking about this very same topic, he says that I may know him. If you know Jesus Christ, you not only want to be acquainted with his goodness and his blessings, but you also are acquainted with his sufferings and his heartache. And Peter says, brothers and sisters, in relationship to the suffering you're going through, that hard thing you're going through, that sickness that marital relationship that's fractured, that fractured relationship between your children or your co-worker or the challenge that you're having in work, maybe the difficulty your company's putting on you because you're standing up for your faith. He's simply saying this is to grow your relationship with Christ. The only way to get through that is to put your dependence upon Him. Number three, notice what he says the third thing very quickly. He says a third purpose is to be conformed, or excuse me, not conformed, to be comforted by the Holy Spirit. To be comforted by the Holy Spirit. Look at verse number 14. Look at what he says in the text. He says, if you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, the word happy there in the Old Testament is where we see the term blessed. You're blessed. You're happy. Why? Because or for the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of. But on your part, he is glorified. The Holy Spirit is there to refresh your soul. That's what, the, what it means rested there. The term rested there means to be refreshed. So what is he saying? He's saying in the midst of your suffering, when you think you can't handle another instant, when you think you can't handle anything else, the Holy Spirit will come in and refresh your spirit. He it says God resteth upon you. God through the Holy Spirit rests on you and where people are speaking evil of Jesus, speaking evil of God, but on your part, he's glorified. Because here's what you say. God, I can't get through this without you. You're the only reason, you're the only way I can get through this. One of the hardest trials that I've ever experienced in my life is on that day when my mother pulled up and proceeded to tell me that Robbie Robertson, the man that had raised me for 23 years, was not my biological father. And the reason why that was so hard is because I knew it down deep in my heart. I had asked questions all through my teenage years. I was never given the true answer until I was 23. And boy, I was so hurt. I was in ministry at that time, and I, I wanted to quit. I really did. In fact, I tried to quit. I went to the pastor. I was brand new. I had only been in Georgia just a couple of months. I was in Alabama for 23 years. I got married. Miriam and I were married for three months, and God called us to Georgia. And as we were there in Carrollton, Georgia, we had just bought a house. Miriam was pregnant with our firstborn baby. I mean, here we go. We're living life. I'm doing ministry. I'm associate pastor, and I'm also a youth pastor, and I'm working very, very hard. And all of a sudden, boom! 
I get hit with this. And my first initial response was probably, you've probably experienced this, God, what did I do to deserve this? What is going on in my life? I can't believe I'm going through this. I I just would rather dig ditches. And and the purpose behind all that was the anger and the frustration and all the um, emotional upheaval that I had inside of me. I said, I'm done. I went to the pastor and I said, I quit. I quit. I'm going to find another job. And he looked at me and he said, you ain't quitting. You just got here. I said, no, you don't understand. This is what I'm going through. He said, I'm not accepting your resignation. I thank God that he puts in our lives mature people that have been way further down the road that will speak truth into our lives. He said, I'm not accepting it. Here's what I'm going to let you do. I'm going to give you a period off. I'm going to give you some time off. And I want you to seek God's face. And I want you to ask what the Lord wants you to do in this situation. Well, that didn't do anything but make me matter. I wanted to quit. <laughs> but I didn't. I sought the Lord's face. And many of you have heard my testimony. What come to find out, uh, God was working behind the scenes the whole time. I was able to meet my biological father. I was able to forgive my, uh, my family, the ones I thought that had hurt me so bad and felt the hurt of them. I offered them forgiveness. You see, forgiveness was not for them. It was for me. I forgave. And this tremendous burden left, left off of me. And that little phrase, what would Jesus do, became very, very real. Because I figured out in the midst of that suffering, Jesus would love. In the midst of Jesus' suffering, he loved me. In the midst of Jesus' suffering, he died for me. In the midst of Jesus' suffering, he was offering me eternal life. And I began to realize that this is true. God puts suffering in our lives, and he puts it there to glorify himself, to glorify God. And thank God for the refreshment that we get through the Holy Spirit during that suffering. Look at what the Bible says in verse number 15. He says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, or as a Uh, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. You see, verse number 16 is very clear. The purpose for our suffering is to glorify God. Let me show you something that's very interesting about verse 16. I would underline that word ashamed. The word ashamed there in this passage of Scripture means to be disfigured. Have you ever experienced such a difficulty in your life that it disfigures your face? Boy, that suffering I went through back in that season of my life, there was no joy. I I didn't feel blessed. I was suffering. Peter says, look, In regards to this being a Christian, don't be ashamed of the suffering you go through. If you take a stand at your job, if you take a stand and the devil's doing everything in his power to discourage you, if the devil's doing everything in his power to to say, look, God doesn't love you, the reason why you're going through this trial is God doesn't love you, no, no, listen, he's a liar. The devil always says the opposite. The reason why you're going through that trial is because God loves you. 
And because God wants your full dependence, He wants you to be even more dependent upon Him. And so He says here that if you suffer as a Christian, you take a stand in the culture and say, I'm going to stand on the Word of God. I'm going to obey the Word of God. I'm going to do what the Word of God says. And the culture pushes against you and say, you're the problem. He says, don't be disfigured by that. Don't be ashamed of that. Look at verse number 17. He says, Because from the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God, and if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? He's just simply saying this. Judgment day is coming. Judgment day is coming. And he says this, And if the righteous scarcely be saved, Where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? They'll appear before the judgment seat of God. Look, don't you dare think that anybody is getting away with anything. We struggle today because we say, man, I just don't understand. Why why do the righteous righteous suffer? Because God loves us. Uh, Jesus was even asked this question. Jesus said, look, it rains on the rich and it rains on the poor. The sun shines on the rich and the sun shines on the poor. Brothers and sisters, I submit to you today that Jesus Christ simply said this. We live in a fallen world, but what sets us apart from the world is the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us. And because the Spirit of God dwells inside of us, greater is He that's in us than He that's in the world. So when the challenges come, when the pressures come, when the sufferings come, we glorify God because we're comforted by the Holy Spirit, growing in our relationship with God, knowing that the trying of our faith has proved our faith and has made it stronger through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then last of all, and I'm done, he says, verse number 19, the purpose that he highlights here at the end is to strengthen our trust. To strengthen our trust. Look at verse number 19. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God. It's God's will that you suffer. He says that we are to commit the keeping of our souls to him in well-doing as into a faithful creator. When I read this verse, it chimes of another passage of scripture in first uh, john chapter 5 verse 13 first john 5 13 many of you know that's one of my favorite verses these, uh, the bible says simply in first john 5 13 that you may know that you have eternal life if you believe on the name of the son of god he that believes on the name of the son of god that you may know that you have eternal life. Bless God, I'm going to butcher it. Would you just turn over there before I absolutely make a mockery of the verse and myself? 1 John chapter 5, verse number 13. The scripture says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Now here it is. Here's what reminds me of this. And that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. You see that there? That is a very, very important phrase. He says, you have believed on the name of the Son of God by faith. You've trusted Jesus Christ by faith. And you know that you have eternal life because we're saved by by faith through the grace of Jesus Christ. And by doing so, now that you continue to believe, or you may, you may continue to believe on the name of the Son of God. 
I was saved, I am saved, I will be saved, all because of the Son of God. Peter puts it this way, let your suffering that be in according to the will of God, that you commit the keeping of your souls to Him in well-doing as unto a faithful Creator. God is not unfaithful to you in regards to the suffering that you're enduring. He is a faithful Creator, wanting you to believe more upon Him as you suffer through this trial. It is to strengthen your trust in God. We should entrust ourselves to God as we continue to do good since He will not allow for us to suffer beyond what we can bear. Say, preacher, I just don't know. I feel like I'm at my wit's end. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. I close with this. He says this. There is no temptation taken you such that is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it. He didn't say that you'd be able to release it. I wish he did, J.R. But he said that you might be able to bear it. You see, sometimes bearing a tribulation and a trial and suffering, bearing that is how God has allowed for you to draw strength from the Holy Spirit of God that you might continue to praise God in the midst of your suffering. As Peter begins to close this letter, he says, I want to remind you, as I've done throughout this entire letter, that there are some important purposes in your suffering today and suffering that's coming in the future. He says it's important to understand that your suffering will happen to strengthen your faith. Keep being faithful to God. It's important to understand that your suffering is to glorify God. That in the midst of your trial, you say, praise God, you're on the throne. You are eternal. You are creator. It is that you might be comforted by the Holy Spirit himself so that you could grow in your relationship with Christ and that your faith will be proven as pure gold, finer, greater than pure gold. I want to ask you a question, dear friend. I want you to think about that trial you're in today. How are you responding to it? Have you thrown your hands up yet? Said, God, why are you doing this to me? I can't believe you're doing this to me. I've been faithful to you. I go to church. I give every week. I can't believe that. Could I challenge you, Christian, if that's your thought process? If that's your thought process, would you think about this? Would you think about having a paradigm shift? Would you look at this passage of Scripture and the truth that's being written from it? And stop seeing your trials and your suffering as God's hating you. But would you look at it and see as God's loving you? Because he will not allow for that suffering to overtake you. He wants to draw you closer to himself. Now let me say this in closing because I need to speak to another group that's here today. You may be here today and think, man, that is radical teaching. That's craziness. No, it's not radical. It's not teaching. Crazy teaching. It's biblical. It's what the Bible says. And here's what we've learned as Christians. 
When we place ourselves under the authority of the Word of God, God's truth always shines through. And when it shines through, we're able to take the situations that God presents us. And what the devil intended for evil, God intended for good. The suffering that God has allowed in our lives has been given to us. And we are stewards over that. That we might be good and glorify God. I didn't say you had to like it. I'm just simply saying it is what it is. But here's the deal. You can't do it without Jesus. I want to ask you a question. Are you tired of doing it on your own? You might be here today and say, Preacher, that makes sense, but I don't know Jesus as my Savior. Well, you'll never be able to follow this principle until Jesus is your Savior. The Bible says that if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. The Lord Jesus says today's the day of salvation. Today is the day that you can know that when you die, you're going to heaven, as 1 John 5, 13 says. The question is, have you ever done that? Have you ever done that? I did it on March 22, 1988. I was 14 years old. And I knelt down during an invitation, and I asked Jesus to save me. On that day, he changed my heart. And as he changed my heart, I didn't become perfect on that day. I still lived in a sin-sick world. But I was able to see through my spiritual growth, through the lens of the Word of God, how that even in the midst of my suffering and challenges and difficulties and even persecution, God was calling me to himself. Dear friend, that's what God's doing for you today. He's calling you to himself. Will you come? Will you answer that call? Could we bow for prayer with our heads bowed and our eyes closed as Brother Lee comes with a hymn of invitation. Maybe you're here and maybe you have never trusted Jesus as your Savior and you realize God's calling you to be saved. Would you just obey God today, friend? From your heart to God's, would you say something like this to the Lord? Right where you're sitting. I'm not asking you to come forward. I'm just asking you right where you're at. You may be listening on the radio today. Could I just ask you to pull over and just talk to God for a minute? If you're here in this worship center today, would you just pause, just you and God, and would you say something like this to Him? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that you are the Messiah. And this morning, the best that I know how, I repent of my sins. And I trust you as my Savior. Thank you for saving me. I'll live for you. In Jesus' name. Amen.